You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. Uh, we're coming to you today from the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, Google Play, and most any podcatcher. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website at www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at The Library Pros, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Today, joining us via FaceTime from Illinois is Brian Pitchman. Pitchman or Pickman? Pitchman. It's Pitchman. Okay. We, we went through that. As long as you pronounce it with the P, not a B, we're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's the director of strategic innovation at the Evolve Project. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Okay. Today we're going to speak uh, with Brian today about everything makerspaces and how they relate to libraries. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Brian, his background, and his history of working with libraries. So tell us a little bit about uh, your educational background. So I have a master's in informational security, so a little bit of a different route than most people that work in libraries have taken, I suppose. Um, my entire background has always been in IT, and it just so happens that my first job was I ever had was working in a library. Uh, so it was kind of up to me to figure out how to get them to mesh together. And so I was, when I was 16, I was putting books away, but I was going to school when I was 18 at the time. But at 18, going to school for uh, computer management. And so how to use Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, putting databases together, uh, and managing infrastructures. Wow. Pretty cool. So, some uh, days. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, some <laughs> days. And then other days, you don't want to be that guy. So how long have you been working with technology and how did you evolve into that type of work, developing makerspaces, working with libraries, and I guess other agencies and schools and doing the discussions that you do? So I guess that's a, a fun story. So I had no plans to be in the library space. Uh, again, like I was just working in the library, putting books away, and then when I was 18, uh, going, to, going to college for it, the library director asked if I wouldn't mind running the IT department. Uh, the, the gentleman that we were outsourcing, outsourcing the IT work suddenly passed away. And so the director took it upon herself to say, hey, why don't we give Brian a try? And so essentially I was the director of IT for a public library when I was 18, 19, <laughs> uh, going to school full-time with a full-time job. So it was exciting to say the least. And the entire time I was working there, I was 100% technology-focused. So I was your typical IT guy where everything has to be blocked and you can't do this and you can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and it wasn't until the library director made me go to a library conference. And she's like, you need to start hanging out with some librarians. And so she sent me to a library conference in California called the Internet Librarian. Um, and I kicked and screamed the whole way. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't read or anything. We're not going to have anything in common. I have only one cat. Um, <laughs> I ended up, I ended up having like probably one of the most exciting experiences of my entire life, uh, listening to some of the stories that other librarians were sharing 
about how they were cultivating new ideas and, and building building people's skill sets up. All these things I didn't know you could do in a library. Mm -hmm. So I ended up coming back and had a plan to renovate our, our children's library space to make it the most, and air quotes, most interactive and engaging library in the world, hmm. uh, which we then successfully implemented and designed. And then since then, I was all about libraries and helping libraries kind of grow and evolve. Very cool. That is a really cool story. So uh, we had another question about, you know, what drew you towards technology, but I think you kind of answered that, but... Um, did you start with technology when you were really young? I mean, we always kind of make the joke that, you know, uh, for me it was a Commodore 64 uh, with a five and a quarter inch drive and a tape drive. And Bob, mm -hmm. what was your, your deal? No, it was pretty much the same. Yeah, Commodore 64. Yeah, I started working on a pet computer. Yes, like, with the green screen, yeah, green monochrome screen. So, I wasn't allowed to have a computer as a kid. Uh, so my, uh, my fifth grade teacher, and I remember her name, it was uh, Miss Snyder. And the reason why I remember her name was everyone was terrified of her. Like, in elementary school, that was the teacher you don't want to have. And I had the, you can guess you can originally say, unfortunate uh, act of having her as the teacher. And then it was her that wanted to push computers in the schools. And so she, would, she urged the, the school board to get four computers in our classroom. So we were the only classroom with computers. Oh, wow. uh, and then she picked... Uh, four people who learn about the computers and then train like one-on-one -on -one with different classmates and then you have computer time. And I was one of the people that she picked to learn about computers. Nice. Uh, and so she sat down with us after school. She focused all this energy and efforts to help me learn about computers for the first time and that was what? Uh, Windows 95 or something like that. Oh, man. Oh, uh, and, and so uh, I guess I'm showing my age a little bit. But uh, that was the first first experience I've had with the computer was because of her, and then since then I was like, this is really exciting, and I had that learning learning curve where I was kind of ahead of everybody else because our teacher forced it. Oh, that's cool. Brian has never had the joy of using DOS <laughs> if he started with oh, Windows ninety five. Yeah, that's right. That was it. Was three point one went all the way to six point two point two, and then that was it. I'm sorry, you're too young to be on this podcast, Brian. We're gonna have to let you go. That's a I'll go home now. Um, <laughs> Our home. Wait a minute. Well, yeah, so, <laughs> we'll go, go to a different room and pout. That's right. But, um, <laughs> well, I guess one of the, one of the exciting, I, I, uh, somebody was throwing away a computer, and so I had no shame of grabbing something out of the trash and playing with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was an IBM computer where the operating system would load on those giant, like, five, five and a half inch floppies that oh, you yeah. put in, run oh, a yeah. command, put in a different disk, run yep. a command. <laughs> um, but like, by then, I mean, most people had, like, Windows 95 computers or uh, Windows, what was it, like, 5.1, 3.1, if they were depending. Yeah. And so I learned that way at home, and then I was in trouble for having it. So That was like every game we ever played, remember? Like, you'd do Carmen Sandiego. You'd, mm. you'd, get, you'd get somewhere, and then you'd put another disc in. And wait for it to load so you could play the rest of the level and then do it again. See, I don't remember that. I remember putting a five and a quarter in, and every time you went to a different level, you had to wait like five or six minutes for it to load the next uh, level the of thing. the screen. Yeah, it wasn't same. different discs, though. Oh, I had different discs, yeah. For the five and a quarter? Oh, yeah. Really? I guess the Commodore 64 was, I don't know, special or something. I don't know. So. I didn't have too many games for that. I was too busy trying to look into the paperbacks and write the, the basic code down, copying the code and putting it in. Fascinating. 
All right, all right. <laughs> you see, you see what so I got to deal with. So with Brian, Nerds. back to telling us a little bit about the Evolve project. Uh, yeah. So out of the project we did at the at the library I used to work at, we, I mean, one other individual wanted to to share our thoughts and ideas with others, and part of the success of the redesign we did for the library was we partnered up with different startup companies across the world. Uh, and so we asked different startups, hey, would you mind donating your material so we can show it to our library patrons? That process or idea, I guess, was so different, a lot of startups were really excited about it and would introduce me to other startups that are trying to you know, get started to have an educational product of some kind. And so we kind of spiraled into something I didn't Think would happen. Uh, and so it kind of fell into my lap that all these libraries and all these startup companies want to work together and share and help grow the minds of, of individuals. And so I started the Evolve Project and I call it a collaborative platform in a sense that we, our, our goal is to get people to talk to each other uh, with the concept of we want to change the way people see libraries. In order to do that, we have to change the mindset, kind of like how I had the mindset of libraries were just about books. Um, but in reality, they're about creating stories, not just providing stories. And so I've kind of cultivated this mantra of I want to see libraries start building and making things. And my ultimate dream would be have an have a individual go into a library, utilize a makerspace, uh, learn how to program, learn how to build websites, and then you know, build the next Facebook. And they yeah. did it all, all because the library gave them access. That's awesome. That really is. I guess that's a great dream to have, right? So tell me more about since you know you started the Eval project now you work with other libraries um, how many libraries have you worked with uh, you know as a consultant uh, so probably close to I want to say probably close to like a couple hundred if I'm counting giant conferences where librarians from all over the place are attending mm-hmm. uh, but probably one-on-one probably closer to like 20 or 30 libraries where we, they reached out and we put a plan together and implemented it uh, which is, is which is really exciting for me to see that unfold and that desire and passion of others wanting to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. Is it mostly regional or in Illinois and in the Midwest, or have you gone all over? Uh, all over the all over the the United States, and I'll actually just now be getting involved into Canada's uh, library spaces uh, next year. I have a couple of conferences to do up there. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Am I next? You're next. I'm next. You know, I was just thinking about, we had Brian come out last year. That's right. For the we computer, had him come speak for us at the Computer and Technical system. Services Division. Uh, you were the annual speaker, right, Brian? I was. I was yeah. It was really exciting to learn about, uh, you guys are part of like the whole, like the Long Island section, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. And so that, that area is like super pretty compared to what, what, I'm, what I'm used to seeing New York being like, you know, very tight and, and clustered. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize there was that whole other side of the world there. Yeah, no, no, was, it's, not, it's a not bad. Beautiful area. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different on the island than it is in in Queens and Brooklyn and a little in the bit. city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. The further east you go, the more rural it gets. A little more relaxed. Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> tell us about how you feel when you see the fruits of your labor, fruits of your work patrons and children, teens, adults interacting and learning, and how do you get opportunities to kind of go back to places that you've already worked with, uh, kind of for updates how they did. So I've, I view you like doing like uh, the Bar Rescue Program, 
So you go out That's there, right? you set them up a little bit, and then and then boom, you got to go back later and be like, hey, did you learn? Did you did you keep it going? You know, and how's it working for you? Uh, I guess it's hit or miss. So some places implement, take all the ideas, uh, and have all cool maker maker tech that I, I like to share. Uh, but then they're in a roadblock where either the staff don't want to pull it out to the front lines and show all the patrons what what the cool stuff is, mm-hmm. or uh, it's more of a well we're worried that someone's going to steal it, so we need to keep it keep it hidden. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side of the to- other side of the coin, uh, some libraries are implementing giant like startup days where they're encouraging people to start a business in the library space. Or, or building like an actual movies and, and doing a, a film festival out of their video recording studio that they put together. Mm. And so it's really exciting and really invigorating seeing that unfold and, and seeing that happen. Uh, probably one of and this, this story didn't happen in a library. It was outside of a library uh, at a, in a lobby of a hotel as, as I was waiting to set up and speak. And, and I, was, I assume this occurs in the library space then. So there was two young girls with their parents um, fighting and bickering, and then they saw me playing with, uh, it was a little bit, playing with these little circuits that you can put together and light up. And they wanted to know what I was doing and, and why I was there, and they were playing with these circuits and learning how to build circuits. And you can see how excited the, the two were. Uh, the younger one couldn't figure out why her circuit wasn't turning on. And her sister, she goes, oh, well, that's because you have two buttons together. You push both of them to turn the light on. And granted, they were probably like five and seven. And so watching that unfold and how they were processing it and problem solving and, and explaining things to each other was kind of like, that is, that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, to the parents, they thought it was amazing for a different reason because they said this is the first time that our kids like got along playing with things. Uh, and then later after the conference... Uh, I ran into the parents, and they're like, you know what we did after we went on this really nice vacation that our, our daughter's favorite part of the whole event was? And I was like, no. <laughs> and like, well, it, was, it was the circuit guy, and they want to hang out with the circuit guy some more. And I go, well, that's <laughs> cool. cool. Uh, and so that passion and that excitement uh, is possible in every single library that puts a space together and lets, lets kids play. Yeah, that's a good truth to get out there, too. Sure, because it's more than just coming to a library to grab a book and then leave. Yeah. There's a reason for them to stay, and yeah. it's more than mm-hmm. just staying to play or play, you know, with trains or something like that. They're actually getting something from it, yeah, and without even knowing it. Yep, that's right. I like that. That's true. <clears throat> okay. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak to Brian a little bit more about uh, makerspaces, his favorite and most successful tech uh, differences between. Reading and, and making, which is something that he believes in, along with some other cool stories uh, from his travels. So we will be back in just a moment. We're back with Ryan Pitchman, the Director of Strategic Innovation at the Evolve Project. And, you know, for our listeners, we should really tell them that that extended break they think is really long was like 10 seconds. 
Right. So we're like, yeah, just take the headphones off, put them on our head, and we're back. Right. It's not that, so long. It's not that uh, short, short a, uh, or how long, uh, that long a break. Yeah. Anyway, Brian's still here. Brian, you still here? I made myself a sandwich and, and ate it during that, that oh, last break. That a whole long sandwich. break that we had, a whole sandwich. Nice. Right. I think Bob drank yeah. a half a cup of coffee in I that, did. Uh, that I got break. the big hug mug. This is nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, with the Evolve Project, we touched on it earlier, but um, tell us um, what the Evolve Project can do for libraries. When you walk in, what happens? So we do kind of a, a different different tiers of of exciting things, I suppose. Uh, at the one level, we do workshops where we talk about all the potential tech you can have in your library, why you should have the tech in your library, how can you design programs around uh, creating, inno- innovating, collaborating, etc. cetera. Uh, at a different tier, we talk about redesigning your space. So how can you structure your space to encourage more collaboration? Or how can you redesign your space or reorganize your space to make room for a maker lab or a maker space? Or do you need to have a dedicated space for it? Well, isn't that part of the, the battle, too, um, trying to make the space at where there is no space? Yeah, that, that's very true because uh, you can't really build out in a lot of instances. You're kind of landlocked where you're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm one of those people that are comfortable with you know, maybe we should look at our collection and read what we don't need. Alternatively, what can we, what rooms are we using that only use once a day? So, at the library I used to work at, we had, an, we had a boardroom that was only used for board meetings once a month. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, well, that's a waste of a space. Sure. And, and, and so we've identified all these rooms that weren't used as frequently. Uh, and so then we're like, all right, let's put stuff in there, let's make stuff happen. So, that's not true for every library. Every, every library might use their rooms all the time. There might not be an unused space. So the next challenge is, well, do you have any tables or any, anywhere you can sit down? And you can do like a pop-up space instead. And so bring some stuff out on bins, lay it out on the tables, and say, hey, you know, we'll make a, make a table. Uh, and so there's always, my, my philosophy, there's a will, there's a way. So there's always something that can be done in your space. Um, or rearranging your bookshelves and making like a box out of the, the shelves by angling. I'm using my hands like everyone can see, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but making that different angles so you have a confined area that you can call your own. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. Do you, um, strategy-wise, do you recommend that uh, when libraries introduce this tech, they, bin it, they put it in a bin and they bring it out when they want to do something and then put it away if if they don't have a dedicated space, or how how do you usually? My philosophy on that. My my desire is to always see it out, because the idea is if it's not out, then people don't know about it. True. Unless if it's if it's out on that day or that specific time when they're walking in the doors, uh, and then that comes into you know, well, Brian, someone's going to steal it if we leave it out. Sure, somebody might steal it, but at the end of the day, the the amount of people that you'll you'll influence and help. Um, far outweighs that potential risk. And isn't it uh, interesting that library, that's that's the first thing that people think about. Well, somebody may steal it. What, what happens if it gets stolen? Yeah, you know, and, then I, and then I guess we shouldn't have books either because people will steal those too. Right. Or movies. I remember when, when we put our movie collection together, uh, the fear from uh, one of the community members, one of the patrons was like, I don't think you should do movies because there's people that will steal those. 
Right. Um, well, I really we're rolling with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so regarding maker spaces, I, I guess a term that's only been vernacular for uh, ten years or so in libraries and schools. How did how did you come into doing the, into doing that and kind of focusing part of your energy on that? Uh, I always liked creating and making and, and tinkering, uh, but me personally never really had a space to do it. So when I heard of other libraries trying to cultivate that mentality and that men mantra, uh, it really spoke to me as like, wow, that's something that I've always been enjoyed. I like to take stuff apart to see what was in it and put it back together. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and at, at its core, I would say every library has always been making, uh, whether it was the popsicle sticks where you create like a little action figure, because um, at, at the core that was still making something. Or, or doing some sort of craft is still making. So it doesn't always have to be tech. Um, granted, I have a tech background, so I'm obviously going to be more pushy with tech. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, you can kind of do whatever you like. Okay. So Bob and I, you know, we, we know the answer to this question, but we wanted your, your view and your take on it. Why makerspaces and why libraries? And in other words... Um, you know, why should libraries be doing this and why are we doing it in libraries? So first, so from a perspective of schools, uh, if a school had a, you, you, would go to, you go to school, you take a class on stuff you're passionate about. I think we can all agree on that. Mm -hmm. But other times, some people go to school because mom and dad are telling them what to take and what to learn. Uh, and they don't really have an opportunity to experiment. They can't really go, hey, you know what? I mean, I'm an art major, but I kind of want to know more about programming. Uh, that person can't really just make that kind of whim because school costs money. And if you're taking a risk on a class, you might not do well. You either, if you're in college, you pay for it. If you're in junior high or high school, mom and dad will make you pay for it. If you don't do good, uh, no more Xbox. <laughs> and, and so there's that, that fear of failure in a, from, in a school setting. If in the classroom setting, I should say, not the, not the school library setting. In the, in the classroom, mm -hmm. there is not you can't fail in the classroom. In a public library, however, you can allow you can allow failure. You can even encourage failure. And so, the reason why libraries should embrace the idea of makerspaces is because there's nowhere uh, an individual can go somewhere and fail without getting punished uh, in, in some fashion or another. And so. And libraries as a whole have been really, really good at cultivating information, um, sharing ideas, teaching other people what to do, whether that's from like the reference perspective or finding a book perspective or, rec or, or book recommendations. Uh, libraries have been very good at that. And, and embracing the technology side of the things isn't that much more of a, of, of a jump. It makes sense. I mean, if you think in terms of what you learned in school – in an organized class versus what you're using in your everyday life. I mean, I, I don't know about Bob, but, you know, I went to college and everything that I learned in a classroom setting I am not using now. Uh, That's true. Where, you know, everything that I, even in, it goes for library school too. Yeah. I mean, now I went to library school 14 years ago, so what they were teaching then are not what they teach you now. But a lot of what I learned was on the fly. Yeah. And there's something to be said for learning without the standardization of it. Okay, now you learned about this. Now we're going to have a 30-question test on it, and it's pass-fail based upon that one performance, 
and that's it, as opposed to trial by fire, which is both good and bad. But I think the the advantage of doing something in libraries is that you can you can fail, and it's okay. What I think organized education fails to understand is that, and I use the the Edison example a lot on this podcast, where Edison didn't make the light bulb the first time, and you know it took him a hundred and something tries to finally get it right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more of what teaching and working in a library is all about, especially with makerspaces. Yeah. Because, you know, okay, it didn't work. Let's figure out why it didn't work. Let's not give you an F for failing. Let's figure out why it didn't work and learn from our mistakes. And that's something that organized uh, education doesn't really let you do, unless you're in a lab, which is science. And, you yeah. know, it, it takes a lot more than just, you know, sitting in a classroom and writing notes and, and, and regurgitating what the teacher is telling you. And That's I think correct. makerspace is part of that because we're allowing them the luxury of failing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my take on it. It kind of makes Absolutely sense, right? Agree. Yeah. No, I think it's a great observation. Yeah. So what – I mean, that's probably several too, but what value-added benefits do you think uh, makerspace, makerspaces give to libraries? So from, we've already touched on like that whole educational piece, so showing people skills that they may not be able to, to get through school or, or, or that, as, as Chris, you were talking about, uh, kind of in that lab environment where you can kind of tinker and play and see what happens and learn by doing. But then there's also the opportunity piece where not everybody can afford a little bit to get to learn about circuits. Not everyone can go out to the store and, and buy some of these things or a computer to learn programming. Uh, and so by offering that, just like, just some reason why libraries offer books and movies for, for people for consumption that it might not be readily available to them mm-hmm. or for sharing because if we, if we share something that's expensive, the cost per use goes down. And so one of the, one of the, one of the gentlemen from uh, Florida Library System in Broward County uh, Robert Anset, I believe is his name, is last name. What he did was he bought a HoloLens. It's a $3,000 uh, visor and that shows holographic images. It's, it's the coolest thing in the world. And what he said was after he got it, he immediately had about 1,000 uses, hmm. uh, which then makes the cost per use about 3 bucks, if my math is right. And so having a makerspace allows you to basically save money by re- repurposing technology or, or craft material, whatever it may be, so people can can play cheaper, if that makes sense. It does make sense, especially when you're trying to um, talk to a board or talk to, you know, whoever controls the purse strings at your library to say, well, you know, when you figure out how many people are going to use this, if the cost per user, you know, it really is low, especially if you're serving a community that may be a little... Um, on a lower socioeconomic scale, too. Correct. So how do, how do you get past the folks? <clears throat> you know, what Chris and I hear, I guess, sometimes is, you know, what value does a makerspace or does a does a, um, a 3D printer or a HoloLens bring to the library? So, you know, you buy books and the patrons will take them out, read them, bring them back. Other patrons will take them back. But what I what I get a lot, unfortunately, kickback is, you know, what's the library going to do that's, that's useful for this. So bringing programming around a 3D printer, bringing programming around a HoloLens and, and not just displaying it and having people look at it and go, oh, that's great, you know, for X amount of dollars. Um, board members, you know, directors, staff members, they're kind of like, well, 
you know, they're trying to trying to attach something tangible to it that the patrons can either take home or an experience or an education or or something like that. So, you know, how do you kind of relevant, you know, I guess bring relevance to that? Gotcha. So you could say you could be argumentative and say, well, then why do we let people <laughs> check out books? Yeah. Uh, and you can start that whole uphill battle. Right. Uh, and I would say being able to check out books and being able to use a 3D printer in a library are the exact same thing. Mm. Uh, once, once you learn how to read or, or you, or if it's, a non, if it's a fiction book or a nonfiction book, you get transported to another world and, right. and you experience something uh, from a very literal sense. Uh, HoloLens or augmented reality literally transports you to another world, mm. and you can see uh, like another environment. You can you can go tour the streets of Italy through the HoloLens, or somebody did a 3D panoramic uh, film video for the Burning Man in Nevada. I believe that's in Nevada, where then you can actually put on your augmented reality uh, HTC Vive and walk around the festival as if you were really there. So there's 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 those pieces, and at the same and at the other on the other side of things is, you use three D printing for prototyping. So if you had an idea and you wanted to build it, if you had access to a three D printer, you can kind of see how that design will look. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cool story I was at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in in Vegas uh, a few years ago, where Hasbro was talking about one of the struggles they have with uh, prototyping ideas, where all these businesses have toy ideas, and the ones that they like the most are the ones that bring in a 3D printed object with it. Like, here's my toy, and here's my actual physical 3D rendering of it, right. whether it's printed or, or designed. And so those 3D printers can teach that thing on, those, on, the, on that front. They say that the world, as we evolve, we're going to go more into augmented reality. Uh, we can say that you know it could have started as early as with Second Life where you build your virtual world and you walk around and you interact with it. Mm-hmm. Minecraft is another virtual world reality where you build a world and you interact. There's there's a sense of creating and exploring in there, but at the same time you're you're thinking of you're thinking big picture. Yeah. So it's just like if you write a book, you're you're writing a story, you're writing an environment. So from a programming aspect as well, learning how to program and code for our augmented future would be a very good skill to have. Um, so I don't even know what that would look like. Uh, and I think the opportunity is is open and, and diverse enough where there is no limit to what can be done. Mm. So really, I guess what the, the big thing we pick up on there is experience. You know, they're reading a book, they're getting mm-hmm. an experience, they're coming in the library, an experience, a program, an experience, a 3D printer, an experience, those kinds of things, the HoloLens, an experience. Cool. So that's what you're giving them. And you're giving them that in many different ways. Um, yes. So that's a pretty good position to uh, to talk back about that stuff. That's pretty cool. What do you think, Chris? You're very. I think it's awesome. Does your mic work? Yeah. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> or he fell asleep. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's good. So, um, does creating a makerspace in a library have to be a costly affair? Like we were talking Hololens and augmented reality, um, and you know, does it also have to be you know big, big ticket purchases and renovations and all that stuff? Tell me about some of the libraries who may have not had a, a huge budget and kind of had to go it a little more on the lower end when it comes to, you know, the fiscal end of things and how you can still turn that into an amazing experience for the patrons. Yeah. So if you're talking about redesign, your cheapest and most 
wowed redesign would be simply adding paint to your walls uh, and, and putting more seating and tables together. So if you had chairs all over the library, bring them into a single location, make that location bright and attractive, uh, and people think it's different. Uh, people people think the space is bigger or more engaging simply because you just have bright colors everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a cost perspective, there's different ways to attack it. If you wanted to do something that's expensive, uh, I think people we often forget that we can ask for help. And so by reaching out to the company that designs the product and saying, hey, would you mind helping out? Uh, the It's surprising how readily available other companies are willing to help libraries in particular accomplish things. Uh, and so like the renovation project we did, for instance, it should have costed us uh, like a million, million and a half to do. And we were able to do it for 165000 which is still a lot. Um, but we literally renovated the entire area with all new tech, all new furniture. And we did that by just asking people to help out. Uh, you can ask your local community for help, ask for donations. If, if that wasn't an avenue that you were comfortable with, then start off small. Uh, you don't have to do the HoloLens. You don't have to do the giant 3D printer where you can print pictures of me out. Uh, <laughs> and, <clears throat> you, can, you, can, you can do something as easy as like a little Lego kit. Legos are, are, are too expensive. and Just start letting people play with Legos, and you get that conversation going. And, and at some point, a patron will go, this is really exciting. Are you going to do more? And then you can use that to help uh, market for, for extra funding or, or move funding around. I, I like to tell people, and this sounds bad, but I like to tell people to look at your circulation budget and, and see if you can, uh, can take some of that money out and put it towards your makerspace. Uh, so instead of buying a couple books, get, get a really cool piece of technology that people can play with. Makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Mm-hmm. I like it. So I, I guess, um, you know, when people think of makerspaces, they think of electronics and they think of, you know, a makerspace has to have uh, a 3D printer and it has to have electronic devices. And I guess our next question relates to, is that is that true? Is there anything that, that doesn't necessarily have to be electronic or plug in or be, have a battery in it that can be considered? You know, for, um, for, for a makerspace, not really. Uh, I mean, granted, I like to say it is, but in all, in all honesty... You can do like that. Uh, what is that? The, the Goldberg experiment, exper- experiment where you have different uh, ramps and valleys and tunnels where you get. Oh to yeah, Rube marble. Goldberg. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rube right. Goldberg. That, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and move this marble around to get to a cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's making. That's creating. You're, you're learning about engineering. You're problem solving. You're you're uh, building hypothesis hypotheses uh, and things like that. So you don't have to go that route. Uh, I've seen people do knitting and and getting sewing machines and teaching people how to sew. Mm. Uh, I even consider a garden a makerspace. So if you have a plot of land, uh, teach people how to to plant and how to water and how to feed and how to trim your bushes, uh, pull weeds, etc. And so it doesn't have to be tech. It could be whatever your community has a passion for. You know, and it is funny because the library that, that I work at, we're using hand tools with children. Uh, no What's that library? The, the Sachem Public oh, Library. Oh, okay, right. Now they're going to have a HoloLens next week. I know what's coming. <laughs> so, you know, it, we introduced the idea of um, tools, hand tools to children because 
a lot of times kids don't know what a screwdriver is or they may know what a hammer is, but they may not know what it actually does. Mm. Uh, and the same holds true for gardening or some of the other things that just a generation or two ago was something kids did all the time. You know, I remember as a kid stealing pallets from the store up, you know, on 112 and, and bring, dragging them back through the woods and building a fort with them, you know, straightening out nails and stuff. Now, you know, with my own kids, I said, come on, let's do that. They'd look at me like I was, you know. Yeah, why? I'm playing like, Minecraft. You know, yeah, so I guess, it's insane. I guess, so I'm, I'm 28, or going to be 28 in a couple of days, and I don't know much about tools because I was never exposed to that. Mm-hmm. But I was in a library all the time. And so, if that library I visited all the time when I was younger had those tools, maybe I would know more about tools today. And I guess, and it's sad because when I like have to fix stuff around the house, I have to ask the neighbors, like, "Here's what I'm trying to fix. What's the tool called? I need to buy." <laughs> so I, I bought like this one set, and I'm, and like I didn't know you can have different socket lengths and stuff because I was like because I was replacing my lamps outside, and I was like, "Dude, man, it's impossible to get to the to the nut." Because it's like two inches away, and there's my, my little socket thing doesn't reach it. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so yeah, it was a, it's a learning experience, and, and I guess my friends laugh because like they know how to do stuff with tools, and I've never used power tools or anything like that, and I'm I'm learning as I go. That's pretty cool. That's a good. That is pretty funny. That, that makes it? sense, though. It makes a lot of sense. It yeah. does. Yeah. Is that yours or mine? It's yours. That's mine? Yeah, sure. Is. What types of things can patrons do in makerspaces and how has that evolved over the years? I guess that's a pretty good that's a pretty good question. And virtual and augmented reality discussion can happen right here now. Between the <laughs> three of us, we could talk about virtual reality, augmented reality, those kinds of things that happen in makerspaces. Because yeah, if you think about something, you know, in terms of ten years ago, yeah. obviously it didn't exist back then. And yeah. you know, it was, it was supposed to other pick things. Up. I was excited and then, then you I, should be excited I'm, too. I'm the Debbie Downer, is that what it is? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, well, Brian, bring us home. <laughs> so, so what was the question again? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, we put Brian to sleep this time. <laughs> That's great. So what types of stuff uh, can patrons do in makerspaces, and kind of how has that evolved over the years? So I'm guessing you're going to talk about a maker bot. So, uh, yeah, so I guess from a perspective of, of things that have changed over the couple of years, and I guess for me, I, I like to think I was on the ground floor. That might just be my ego talking. Uh, but I've seen it transition from really basic, like Legos, if you will, and playing people playing with Legos and, and telling stories to computer-based games where you, you log onto a computer and you move read a rabbit around uh, to more tangible and digital play where you have a tangible piece with a digital output. Uh, and I think that as we move forward, it's it's... We, we, we went from physical, 100% physical, to 100% digital. Mm. And we're moving back to where it's 50-50, where a product has to be both a tangible item where you can physically touch it and a digital item where you can upload some sort of result and see it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's some of the more popular tech that people play with from a makerspace standpoint. Um, so I guess from an evolution standpoint, how does, as you were talking about augmented reality, how will that fit in? don't have the answer. I guess it'll be, I guess from a HoloLens idea where they want your augmented reality to be overlaid your physical realm so you can play Minecraft off your actual kitchen table and mm. put blocks on your table digitally, digitally yeah. but your physical table is there. Uh, and so the evolutions inside of a library maker space, 
I think the sky's kind of the limit, but it seems to be more of a, a bigger, I guess, more pricier type of items too as we move forward because people want more and more and more. Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but oh, I think that was good. No, it was excellent. Makes sense, yeah. So when you walk into, you know, you, you have a new consulting, um, you consulting with a new library, and you walk in, are there go-to technologies that you would recommend? Um, or, you know, do you ha- walk in, you know, I, I imagine you walk in like, this is going to sound goofy, I, either with a clipboard or with an iPad, and you have an, a general idea of what you're going to recommend, and then you see the space. Oh, and- I do it like Bar Rescue. I do it like Bar Rescue. Oh, you walk in and you yell at everybody, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yep. Throwing stuff and get out of here. <laughs> You're going to ruin the whole community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm shutting this down. <laughs> everybody out. Patrons out. Kick everybody out. That'd Shut the place good. down. That'd be terrific. Yeah, I should do that next time. Just, just see what the reaction is. Just make, make sure you video. Make, make sure, sure you have a cameraman. Got to tape it. We'll come. Mm-hmm. We'll fly down and we'll be there. Yeah. Uh. Will you guys help me find a new career choice after I do that? You could be a podcast runner. You could run our podcast oh, with us. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be yeah, fun. Sure. I, I like to think I can be funny sometimes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so can just was, imagine him doing that too. Just that'd be terrific. It. Now he's going to do it. It's going to be our fault. Look well, at this we, place. Why don't we build a new segment called uh, Library Rescue, and we start just running around places <laughs> uninvited. <laughs> uninvited. <laughs> uninvited. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. What are you doing? Put that book down, kid. Yeah, nobody actually called us. We'll just come in and throw stuff around. And be like, <laughs> then we'll go to jail. We, we get a lot of press for it. We can call it disorderly conduct and the yeah. arrest afterwards. Oh, definitely. <laughs> library pro to spark a gun. Block from another <laughs> library. Uh, oh, that's so great. To, so, to answer, so to answer your question, so for me, it always depends on what the patrons, what their community likes. If there are more musically inclined, I'd encourage them to build like a recording studio or even get a simple Mac and learn how to uh, record audio and edit the audio and record video and edit the video. Hmm. Uh, from a makerspace tech standpoint where it's more like the STEM learning, uh, I'm a big fan of, of Little Bits. I think that's a, a really great, it's a, and I don't, I don't think they'll get in trouble if I say it, but they're like the Legos of, of, of the modern age where it's digital Legos and you put things together. They're going to get sued for this now, probably, but whatever. <laughs> no, they're and, probably uh, going to hire you as a consultant for yeah. marketing purposes. Yeah, to do marketing. Yeah. Uh, Except so Lego is going to sue you instead. Yeah, yeah, and then that's how they're going to defeat this little lawsuit. <laughs> well, we hired the guy, so you can just sue him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, so I think uh, so I think from a, a circuit standpoint, that's really fun and easy to do from a... Uh, robot standpoint, if you're if you're younger, uh, the dash and dot seem to get the most reactions from people. It's these cute little blue robots, and they make like little noises. And as you program them and follow along, like the the game tells you, uh, and if you get the the code right, it'll say yay, and it dances around and lights up. And so people like that 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 feedback as they're playing. That's cool. So. And then if you're if you're more of an adult, uh, there's you can you can build a robot quite literally now. There's a there's a kit from Bird Brain Technologies called the Hummingbird Kit, where you can build a robot and it gives you all the pieces and stuff you need to do it. Nice. Uh, and so and then program it. And so it, it it all depends on the level of excitement and what age group they're aiming for. Uh, and at the same time, I, I would say that a you know 28 year old me has 
just the same amount of fun playing with Dash and Dot as probably a five-year-old. You know, I was just going to, I was going to ask you, I said, how much fun is it to play with all this stuff before you recommend them? Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun, and I, I like to brag to all the neighborhood kids that I have more toys than they do, and uh, <laughs> things to be you. And I like to play in my front yard and let them let them watch from afar. <laughs> so I guess that leads us right into our next question: Have you ever kind of tested a a promising piece of equipment that you really wanted to get? You got your hands on it, and it just kind of just kind of fell short, and it, and it didn't you know kind of produce exactly what you thought. Um, and we have to remind us not to use specific names. <laughs> uh, so, I guess there was, there was one company, and their product was was super super awesome. And a cube game where you can put these cubes together and you can play. Uh, unfortunately, I think that that company ended up getting sold, and that product kind of disappeared after the the, the sale. Uh, and I thought there was so much potential for that product. Uh, uh, there was so much potential for that product where if they would have kept with it uh, who knows what they would have been doing today yeah. do you ever jump into the um, into the GoFundMes and the uh, what's the name of that other one the uh, Kickstarter Kickstarter and, Indiegogo, and Indiegogo. And yeah. uh, way too frequently and I, I'm, let's see I'm going to go to it right now so I think I spent too much money on that site. Like I think I <laughs> deserve a share uh, because I, I I have that I need and I want mentality. So like everything always looks cool to me. Yeah, um, we kind of have that too. Yeah, pretty much every new technology that comes out. Yeah, you know, pixel. Got to risk it to get the biscuit. That's you, what I always say. You bought the trashy iPhone with no headphone jack. And he bought the I pixel. That, I bought the next generation I, phone. That gets a virus. Uh, virus, get out! <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Who knows? Do you have the Pixel? Uh, I ordered it. Like, I, I, I have an iPhone though, so I'm not. I'm gonna uh, get like a, I have an extra phone number, so I'm gonna swap it over to that. That's exactly. That so that's so funny. That's exactly what I did. I have a six, and then I uh, I just got the Pixel XL, and it's it's killer. I put in another phone number on it so I can mess with Chris. And literally today, I was like green, blue, green text message, blue text message. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, is what iMessage what, looks like. This is what yeah. oh, iMessage is awesome because I have a I have a Mac, so I can like reply to people through the Mac versus my phone. Isn't yeah. that great? So the, 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 the syncing is amazing. I love it. So meetings, psh, I can text and no one will know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I've been texting this whole time. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I knew I heard it in the background. That typing. Yeah, he was ty- Brian typing again. Nice. That's funny. Are you so, up or am I up? Um, you know what? You can go. Why not? Are you sure? Sure. What are your favorite pieces of technology that you recommend and why? Uh, favorite pieces? I would say, so it changes with my mood, I guess. Uh, recently, since I just got to experience it, the HoloLens. Hmm. Like, that's that's a life-changing piece of technology. I'm a new man after experiencing nice. that. Is the sync rate? Uh, it doesn't make you sick? Is the sync rate fast enough? Oh, it's actually really good. So compared to, I, I compared to like Google Glass, where like, like my eye felt like it was going to rip out of its socket as I was trying to look at the little <laughs> the glass cube where it was at. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like it's positioned right. HoloLens, yeah, it, you feel like you're, the quality is good enough where you actually forget where you're at. Wow, that's cool. So if you're seeing a, a demo of like walking through a doorway, you like you'll duck 
Like, you know it's not there, but you're going to duck anyway. Yeah. That's why those people, like, fall off the chairs when they do it. Yeah. Like, you go online, they fall off the chair. They're on the, they're on the floor, yeah. like, just squirming because something happened. <laughs> yeah, funny. So, so uh, we remember when you came to and spoke at Suffolk County Library System uh, in December of 2015, um, which was, you know, which... Oh, give me one second. What just happened there? Yes, I know. Okay. So I remember when you came and you visited us, um, and it was an extremely hands-on experience, allowing everyone who came to play with the technology. Um, and you discussed the difference between reading and uh, making. Did you, um, you know, was that your, is that your approach when you speak? You bring a bunch of toys and you put them out there? Because I remember you said, I'm going to talk in a little bit. I just want you to go play for a half hour. Correct. So... My my philosophy on that is I noticed that when you put out the maker tech, because I like people to play, and, and again, as we talked about earlier about fail by doing, uh, if I put the instructions out, people spend more time reading the instructions, mm-hmm. and then like, all right, I get it, and they move on to the next thing without playing with it. And so I always like to let people figure it out on their own. Uh, and usually all the new tech that I always get, I always try to figure it out before I do my homework on it. Mm-hmm. So I unbox it, start poking at it and seeing what happens. And I think that's, for me at least, it's the, a better way to learn than reading and then, because most people I see, they'll read it and then they're like, cool, good, that makes sense. And then they miss out on that opportunity to actually play. Yeah, you know what we pulled out of that was really cool because we knew most of the people that came to that event because we kind of, we ran it. Um, and it was great to see the people that were normally afraid to touch everything they, a lot of them wanted to come for a discussion, and they saw like the nine or ten tables worth of, you know, models that you brought, and they they sat down, they got ready, and, and you went up there for like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. You're like, okay, now go play for a half hour, and then we'll talk about it. Well, the, the, and they were all yeah. kind of like, uh, they looked at each other like, uh, okay. are we supposed to get up now? Yeah, uh, but it was doing? really neat because once they finally walked up to the table, they were just having a ball, and I think that's the kind of engagement. Like, you don't have to be afraid of this stuff. You know, you can break it, you can put it back together, and now that you're not afraid of it, bring it to your patrons, you know, bring it to your staff, and get it out there, you know, for, the, for them to experience. And I think that's, that's what, you, what you did for us. And, and really cool, so. I think, I, to take it one step further, you saw people take their phones out and take pictures of all these different things, yeah. and I can honestly say there have been more than a few of the libraries mm-hmm. in Suffolk County that used that presentation as a springboard to then go ahead and buy little bits and buy Alzabots and buy all these things that they had no idea existed before. Yeah. And they went ahead and they bought all these things saying, well, I went to that, I went to the, uh, that CATS program and there was this guy and he just laid all this stuff out because nobody remembers the speaker's no, name. there was just this dude. Just, was, just dude. I think it was Chris. Yeah, it's fine. I'm used no, to be wasn't it? dude it was or, Chris. or circuit guy or whatever. Circuit, circuit dude. Yeah. So it really was, your presentation was a, a real launching pad for a bunch of libraries in Suffolk County and when they found out that how, first of all, what a makerspace could be versus the, you know, what they thought the reality of what a makerspace was, and, and that they could do it without having to, you know, give a, a $10,000 or $15,000, you know, invoice to, to a director who's going to then say, well, we don't have that kind of money when you're investing in little bits and nozzle bots and Lego Mindstorm and, and, and all that kind of stuff, um, I think you opened a lot of people's eyes in Suffolk County. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So, kind of jumping was, off that, it was a pleasure. Jump, it was a lot of fun. It was. We it, hope to do. We hope to do it again. People too. still talk about so, it yeah, too. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to top Brian this year. 
Bring Brian back. Well, I guess I could come back, but we can. I can wear like a, a face mask or something. Yeah, you can come back like, be somebody, somebody else. else. This is Brian's, the, the Phantom of Makerspace. This is Brian's brother. Yeah. It's evil twin. His name is. Oh, Rich. he's a lot better than that other guy you had last year. Yes, yeah, is Rich oh. Pitchman. Rich Pitchman. <laughs> Brian's. So, in in your experience with libraries, I guess that you've worked with, you know, give us some success stories of places that were kind of hesitant at first, maybe a little nervous about putting all this stuff out, and then now they're flourishing and growing, and they're kind of your, you know, your uh, shining star. So there was uh, one library, uh, it was a, a district library, and I was requested to present an uh, uh, in-service staff day, and it was because the staff didn't want to do technology stuff, mm-hmm. and I knew that ahead of time, thank God, uh, so I can kind of plan my presentation without being like mauled by the, the angry mob. <laughs> um, and so it was It was a whole bunch of people that didn't want to do tech, didn't like computers and libraries, uh, just wanted to stick with the books, um, the very, you know, traditional library mentality. And so the director wanted me to fix that. And I guess my favorite success story was, was, was part of that. So as I was presenting, they even had one of the a local news, news guy out there and taking photos and explaining how... This is what all libraries should do, and it and it geared up like local businesses uh, to want to be involved, and and I guess they ended up doing like a, a grant between the different buildings. Whoever can come up with the best plan would get it funded. Nice, very cool. Uh, and competition, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a really neat idea. So people that were already against it, I mean, money is money, so it'll it'll force you, I guess, to want to do it. And I think the the outcome of that was. People put such good plans together. Uh, they were encouraged that even if they didn't get the grant, to figure out how to fund it because they were proud of their work. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so what are some of the coolest things that uh, that you've seen made in makerspaces? And you know, when I say made, it's, it's in quotation marks because it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical item. It could have been something that was designed in, like you know. Uh, SketchUp or Tinkercad or, or something else. What's the coolest thing that you, walking away from, whether you're doing it in your library or whether it's a consulting uh, gig that you had, where you walked away and said, holy crap, how did they make that? Or that's well, really th- cool. Well, they three printed, three d printed me. I thought Uh-oh. it's we, me. We, no, no, my, I'm not that. We, we lost you for a second. Um, Can you say it again? No. Oh, man, I, I had a good joke. I said the coolest thing that <laughs> occurred was somebody did a 3D printout of me. <laughs> and, uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Life-size? Is it life-size or a miniature? Miniature. Uh, okay. Miniature. But it wasn't a wide enough printer to print me. That's good. Um, <laughs> but I would say there was a library that has had a Lego wall. Where they mounted a Lego like sheet against a wall, and people were putting Legos on it. Uh, and now with with the that there's for little bits and some of the other startup companies, you can put it on the wall. To, you can tell stories. I thought that was pretty neat. That's cool. That is neat. It's my turn. It's your turn. It is. So we often talk about maker spaces to to teach children and teens about the possibility of making and coding and all those great things. But what are the advantages for adults and seniors? So we could probably build programming around teens and children really easily. So talk to the struggling libraries for adults and seniors and things like that. Seniors, yeah. So I heard. So this is this is a recent story, and I, and I have never I haven't had time to validate if what the guy said it was true. So I was going through an airport, and one of the security guards 
because uh, I carry all my tech stuff with me. Uh, he stopped, stopped, and we chatted for like an hour and a half. Thank God I didn't have a the plane was late, so it was all good. But uh, he was telling me about how uh, his background was was for, learning foreign languages and libraries. So his mom was a librarian, and he liked to teach languages and stuff. Uh, and so I was talking about how people should get into programming, and so he challenged me with, well, why? Uh, he goes, why do adults even care about programming, already knowing the answer as I struggle to answer his questions? Uh, and so he brought up a fact, or, and I'm not sure how true it was, but he says that there's a part of your brain uh, that you don't utilize once you get to an adult, and if you don't use it in your adult's ages, it actually don't use it and it disappears. Uh, and so learning how to speak a different language, i.e. coding, activates that portion of the brain. Nice. Uh, and so just like learning a language, learning how to code is the same thing. Uh, and so he's like, you know, you should talk about that. So check mark, uh, Chris, whatever his name was. <laughs> Seniors and uh, adults, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. And so from a, from a learning how to code aspect, that's, that's useful. Uh, and they say that one of the, one of the stories I always like to say is computers are dumb. Uh, they don't know how to do anything until you tell it what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, thank God for that. So that means Terminator is not going to happen for you know, a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> Skynet. Yeah, as Facebook, as Facebook becomes become self-aware. Yeah, that would be bad. But um, uh, learning how to code also lets you learn how to control your computer differently. Uh, and, and knowing those coding mechanics, you can then start learning how to troubleshoot computers differently if that makes sense mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time they say that all of our evolutions in technology were for the last 10-15 years was all on a coding level mm. and so you can explain that to adults and seniors that hey look do you want to change the future you still can uh, I mean it doesn't mean as an adult doesn't mean you can't learn a new skill and change the world yeah. so I'd, I'd embrace that type of type of mantra too, where you can figure something out and, and problem solve through coding. So, if you could uh, sum up to that reluctant library board or library uh, leadership, why their patrons and the library as a whole needs to do some kind of makerspace, what would you say to them when they say, "Well, tell you know, make, give us give us your pitch," because we don't really think this is something that needs to be in libraries. What would you say to them? So you can go. You can go one of two routes. The harsh route uh, is, you know, why would somebody use? Why is somebody utilizing your library still to this day? What What do you guys do that sets you apart? So thinking from a business perspective, uh, what do you do that the individual can't figure out on their own or do at home? Mm -hmm. I know we talk about you know the internet when the internet came out, and how dangerous that was for libraries, but you have to stop and pause and go, well, has our attendance gone up or gone down? Why has it gone down? And, and that's, that's like the hard, the hard sell is, you know, what do we need to do to stay relevant? You know, can we continue just to do books and have computers stay relevant? Is that a worthwhile business strategy? Right. Um, the other argument you can do, and, and this is the one that I use for, for my, for the library I work at is, how come we get more people during the summer reading program? Mm -hmm. Just ask that question. Why do more people come into our library during the summer reading program? I mean, we have the same amount of books, so it's not the books that change. What what changes from summer 
to during the school year hmm. or even after the summer reading program? You know, why, why all of a sudden does it spike up and then disappear? And our reasoning was not because of uh, they had nothing to do. It was because there was something fun to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted to go to the library to, you know, hang out with their friends, to play with the crafts materials, go to the programming events. So if a library can build that to go all year long through a makerspace, for instance, yeah. who's to say that you can't have a, have a consistent summer reading program turn out? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It really does. If you build it, they will come. Yep. Have you ever have you seen this is a little bit off off roading for a second cuz uh it, what we've seen over at Sachem is when you put a 3D printer out you learn very quickly who the engineers are in your uh in your community. Mhm. That, that, that's happened a lot with us. I I, I think I have no plays drinking game again. Nice. If, <laughs> if if you didn't listen to the last episode every time I said Sachem uh, the guests would clink glasses with Bob. It's like a drinking game. It was great. Uh, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've, I think I've engaged about seven engineers since we put out uh, our first 3D printer, and we've been doing some projects with them where they oh, had, they're, they're developing things, and they just wanted to take it from their CAD software and, and print it out you know, as a prototype, and it's been pretty successful so far. So, so I guess from since... To piggyback over the last question, the conversation can then be, you know, were they frequent library users to begin with? I don't know. That's a good question. And they, so that could be a success story that uh, on its own is, hey, look, because chances are maybe, maybe they didn't come to libraries frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go, hey, now we brought in seven people who utilize our library space on a regular basis because we've implemented something that they, they, have, they see a value in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It really does. So sure. we, we, we have to give Chris a couple of minutes to tell us what he's got going on over at Sachem, actually. They just developed, or they're in the middle of developing, um, a tremendous makerspace or, or area where they can come in. So give us an idea of the hardware that you've thrown out sure. there. Sure. We're calling it the studio, and the concept is that there's three separate areas in the building. There's an adult section, there's a teen section, and there's a children's section. In children's, uh, they're going to have a Da Vinci junior 3d printer okay. with a uh, menu of things that will be preloaded on the sd card that that it prints from so that kids can pick what they'd like to um print and we're also going to have webcams on all the 3d printers so people can watch their stuff being made they're also awesome. going to introduce uh hand tools um for light carpentry things uh building birdhouses you know they mostly be kits but you know the kids will get access to all the different types of um you know, wood material, plastic material, uh, and the use of the hand tools, along with some uh, robotics and things like that. In teens, they've been doing makerspace for a while. It's just that nobody really realized that they've had green screen. They have a creation station with all kinds of different software for sound recording and Photoshop and green screen and, and all that fun stuff. So we've expanded that to, from one computer in the department to all the computers in the department. Uh, they also have uh, video cameras. They make short films. They do a lot of great things down there. And they're also getting a Da Vinci Jr. Uh, 3D printer. That's in, pretty cool. In the adult section, we currently have a Da Vinci Jr. And we also have a Form 2 liquid resin printer. And that really oh, you has... you got one of those? Those are, those are awesome. They are amazing. One of the engineers had, um, had... It was a funny story. We were in 
I was doing a demonstration of the 3D scanner that we have. And at the end, one of these engineers, who's an older gentleman, kind of leaned back in his chair and he pulled a flash drive out of his pocket and threw it across the table and says, you think you can print what's on here? So I took it. I said, let's give it a shot. So we went back into my office. We plugged in the, the, uh, the flash drive. So it was an STL. And uh, we imported it into the, um, into the Form 2. And it just started printing. And the next day, I called him. And I said, it's done. Come take, it, take a look. And he ran right over. I think he was in a half hour he was there. And he was gardening. His hands were still dirty. He goes, I can't wait to get a micrometer on this just to see. So he went home. He did that. And then the next day, he called me and said, it's accurate to within a thousandth of an inch. Wow. What was it? It's a new design for awnings. So if you, um, you see uh, delis in, in the city, mm. they have those, those big awnings with their names on it. Mm. Uh, so cool. it was a new system that he was developing where there was a bracket that would fasten to the building, and then there was a cup-like um, piece that would be pinned to that bracket mm. that was mounted to the building, and that cup piece would accommodate the pipework that would then build the structure for the awning. Uh, it was a different design than what they currently use. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't wait to get get it home and mic it up. And then when he told me it was that accurate, he gave me two more projects. Nice. So nice. Uh, so that really kind of spurred it on. And then I found out he was a professor at Stony Brook University. He's retired. Wow. So we may actually use him to teach CAD to, um, to the teens, that's the cool. kids, and the adults. That's great. So that's how the relationships develop. And we also have um, cool. a, a software company, Zebra Technologies, in our district. Mm. And we're getting some of the software engineers who are younger guys uh, who are going to come and teach coding. And so it really, just by putting a Da Vinci Jr. on the desk and printing little Chotsky things, it, it was like moths to a flame. Yeah. And it's just gro it's growing from there. We're also, uh, we have a, like a whole community. Yeah, basically. And it happened in a very short period of time. We also have a Next Engine 3D scanner, which does uh, some amazing scanning work. Uh, where we just purchased, and we're waiting for the delivery of a laser cutter and engraver. And we're putting a budget together for next year with a whole bunch of other new things. That's really cool. That you know, it it really is growing pretty quick, and it, it is That's an exciting cool. time because. It, and it's not just me. There's, I, I work with a whole team of people, and we're actually going to ask people from all departments if mm -hmm. they're interested in participating and working during, you know, and get paid for it. Sure. Where they take an hour off of their shift to come sit in the makerspace, and uh, we're in the process of, of starting to develop that too. So nice. it's a really exciting time at uh, at Sachem. Go ahead, clink your glasses. Clink glasses. It's it's a really exciting time because um, we're still in the infancy stage. But once it really starts to get rolling, within a year from now, mm -hmm. we're going to see some really amazing stuff coming out of there. We're going to make you listen to this podcast a year from now. Yeah. And compare it. Like, you know, Brian, Brian, a year from now, come back on to our 53rd episode, and then and we can revisit all this stuff. Sure. And then you can... Oh, it can't be the 50th? That, that's the that's We, we can make one. you the 50th. We sure. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. He can be all of the, the benchmark episodes, 50, 100, 150. Okay. Cool. Sure. sure. If we're still well, that's when you notice that you're, you're waiting after that, and then you go back up. That's only if oh, Lego, that guy. Let's yeah. avoid him. That's only if Lego doesn't sue us first, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the response from the community has been overwhelming. Yeah. And 
Uh, I hope it, you know, it really does continue. And like I said before, it's in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, I bust your chops a lot about Sachem, but I wanted to give you your due diligence because this episode is all about what you guys are doing over there. It's incredible, and you're, and you're pushing Suffolk County, and, and, and awesome. you know, you're pushing some great libraries to do, to do some great things because you guys, you know, had the guts to do it first. So. And it's, and quite honestly, it's, it's a labor of love. It's a lot of yeah. fun. All right, that's enough. All right. <laughs> Look at that. Love. Wow. Oh, God. Quite honestly, uh, I, I would do it for free, you know, even if they didn't pay me. That was Bob Johnson saying yeah, you do it for free. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Okay, Wabo. Thank you very oh, much, Bob, for okay, uh, giving, me, giving me okay, the. Okay, Cabo Wabo. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're going to take a break, um, and we want to thank. Uh, Brian for sharing all his insights with regard to makerspaces. That's not what it spaces. says. It says, thanks for sharing your insights into making and makerspaces. See, I can actually ad-lib a little bit. Can you? Sure. I just read right to the book. It sure. is something that is not only educating, but seems to be a springboard for patrons of all ages to discover. Explore and create, taking us into the 21st century uh, and you beyond. you flubbed it. Sorry. You flubbed it. 21st century and beyond. I think Brian's going to do it with a radio, radio show announcer voice. Like, well, you got to get really close to the, to the mic. To the 21st century and beyond. Okay, Buck Rogers. Yeah, it's close. close. Nice. Okay, so we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be asking Brian our top 10 library questions or the 032.02 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And thank you to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for the name idea. It's a list of questions that we ask all of our guests. So we will be right back. back talking with Brian Pitchman, Director of Strategic Innovation at the Evolve Project. He'll be our next participant in the 032.02 list, right? Oh, yeah, the o- or 032 list. 032 list? Yeah, okay. I think that's catchy enough. And, and Melanie gets, like, every every episode we have to mention? We have to. Every She's time? The one we could, the first Some sort what, of five TV? episodes, we couldn't come up with a name for this list. All right. It was just like, like the torture I mean, list. To like a dollar for every time you say it. That's too, what I'm right? thinking. There's got to be some royalty thing every time we mm-hmm. say it. Like the, All right, Mel, I'll have to send you a check. A dollar every time. So yeah, this two dollars today. You said it twice. That's true, Melanie. Three. Not for every time. Just every podcast. Oh, now it's four. What if Brian and I work out a deal with her for every time we say Melanie, she gives us like fifty cents of the dollar, Melanie. Yeah, like like hey, Melanie, how's how's Melanie doing? Exactly. This like week? Melanie's very impressive, Melanie, with the list, Melanie. <laughs> That's like this five is a bucks. Good idea, Melanie. That's five bucks, wow. Melanie. I thought it was for Dude, the name. Every time Melanie. we say the name, not her name. That's Melanie five dollars. Wow. I didn't know this was gang up on Chris yeah, night. That's Melanie real. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Melanie would approve. Melanie would approve. <laughs> Melanie would approve, Melanie. Oh, I love oh, it. It's beautiful. Okay, so the questions were inspired by the li- the website Literary Hub, which is a website with very interesting library related stories and interviews. You can see their work by visiting www.lithub.com. They are Twitter feeded at LitHub or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelithub. Please visit their site and social media. They curate stories and articles that are really an interest to anyone in the library world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So our first question, what did you want to be when you were a child? An astronaut. 
I totally believe that. I totally believe it's it, not even a joke. I know he that, that's what he was honest. You know, for Halloween he had a mylar suit, right? I'm sure at one point he's, he was Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear, he's probably. Oh well, yeah, he's too young. No, for I, was a, I was a. I, I, I am. I have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I think was what I was for Halloween when I was younger. <laughs> wow. Because it was my mom gave me a green sweatshirt and an orange headband and called it green and said, "Ta-da!" That's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> All right, cool. So what was your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Um, Let's see. I think my mom brought me to the library for the first time for story hour, hmm. probably. Mom's so always the one doing it. So there's pictures of, of me at the library when I was like uh, seven, eight, like sitting in the front being read a story and, and hanging out with the puppets. <laughs> the puppets. <laughs> They're my only friends. They didn't talk back to me or anything. It was nice. Now they talk back. Yeah, now they talk back. It's odd. I'm like, you guys didn't talk to me for the first 20 years of my life. And now you won't Why be quiet. Why are you talking now? <laughs> now you won't stop talking. <laughs> stop telling me to buy that Indiegogo project. Gee. Yeah, that's, not, that's their fault. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the puppets made me do it. That's right. Okay, so uh, when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, what was your first career path? Because many librarians and staff choose a profession. this profession as their second career. Uh, there was the job that, since I went to the library when I was so young, uh, I already had my street cred there, so I, they said I should apply when I turned 16, and, and that's what I did. Hmm. It was the, I think I was, it was like 10 days after my birthday was my first day. That's cool. He's like one of those one percenters. He is a one percenter. He's a one percenter. He's a half a percenter. Oh, I don't go about half. I one percent right. maybe. Okay, all right. I okay. round up, but we're good. You could, yeah, I guess you could round up. You're right. You would. Okay. Yes. Okay, no. you're up. I am. No, it's part of your question. Oh, okay. Who is your favorite fictional librarian? Oh, uh, not sure. Uh, I'll have to just pick the one that's on that TV show. Oh man, he's gonna do it. No, he's gonna Noah do Wiley. it. Not Noah Wiley. <laughs> Noah Wiley. Well, why not, man? I've been saying that name from episode one, and everybody was like telling us it was a bad name and you know it's, it's it. actually funny last night i've been watching um there's a, an original show on um amazon called the man in the high castle All right. and there's a librarian in there yeah and i said "Ooh, that could be my favorite librarian so your librarian is the librarian in the high castle but it was and brian it was a non-speaking part Brian's Brian's Noah Wiley. yeah no wiley okay you might get some bad twitter rants for that that's fine i'm used to it now <laughs> you, can, you can take it you can take it <laughs> What would you be doing if you were not working in a library? Uh, probably an astronaut, so that you guys missed that up. <laughs> <laughs> you have no chance uh, of being an astronaut now that you're on the podcast. Uh, I love it. Probably stuck in some like dark closet in a server room. Oh, man, that's true. Yeah, with a coat on. That happens. With a yeah, coat because it's yeah. cold in there. Leather Always jacket. cold. Always cold. What's your favorite section of the library? Uh... The makerspace thing? I was just <laughs> going to say that. Would that be the, the marketing answer? So I'm going to go with that. the makerspace yeah, The makerspace area. Uh, uh, no, actually, actually, I like the quiet areas because like, I like to go to Starbucks and, and sit in a little quiet space. Same thing with the uh, library. Like a nice little quiet corner where my back's against the wall and I can see the front entrance and I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we want to ask why. Okay, so... <laughs> If you had infinite space and an infinite budget, what would you add to the library? 
uh, spaceship so I can go to the moon and hang out with SpaceX. <laughs> he's just he's stuck on being oh. an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, you guys brought up like old memories. I'm like, oh, I messed up. It's all, <laughs> I had so it all planned out when I was flashbacks. Eight. When he hangs up in his little oh. theater, he's gonna watch Apollo 13. I know it. Yeah, I am. I'm what like, no, what you should do is watch Buck Rogers he, in the 21st he's century. Forget, he's not gonna watch that. That was I don't great. Know what that is. That's uh, like, I have to see. Oh, know what dude, that is. you've got to see that. Don't. It's a movie that turned into a TV series. Don't don't, don't, don't watch the second don't season. Don't bother. Just turn on the Cubs. They I just found out last week that Lost in Space was originally a TV series, so that was pretty cool. Well, it you was. Could, you could watch that. It was, that. but it, it it's robot. not as good as it's typical 60s. So wait, we were gonna make him watch Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers with Gil Gerard. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You've got to see it. it. Brian goes, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Totally confused now. I'm going to just, not an astronaut anymore. You killed it again. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We brought you back to reality. (laughs) I'm back. Somewhere between Uh, the moon and a server closet. Yeah, basically. It's all over the place. (laughs) Uh, If I can do anything, uh, probably like a a recording studio. I think those are really neat. Uh, I used to, a band. I won't. I won't talk. I won't talk about my name of the band because then it's, it was one of those uh, punk garage band type names. Uh, and so, and then I want all you googling looking for my music. Leave <laughs> that stuff. Now I they're going to do an it. Entire anyway. month. It's, it's gone. I spent an entire month scrubbing that. Brian Pitchman my music life off out the there. WikiLeaks has mm-hmm. it. Don't worry. No, no, no. I even hacked WikiLeaks and I took it back. I'm going to get it from Julian Assange. <laughs> Be like, where is Brian Pitchman's music? I want it. I want it on iTunes. Forget those emails. Give me Brian's music. Yeah, better than that. So yeah, I think a recording studio or video recording studio was always something that I liked doing as when I was younger, and uh, and it's expensive as all heck to put one together yourself. That's true. Or it really rent is. out a room. So cool. Is this me? No, it's me. That's you. Yeah. Cool. What do you love about your library? I guess the people. Uh, I like when, and so I don't really have my own library. I bounce wherever I want. But I guess uh, for what do I love about the local library? I think the people. I like I like the people that are friendly and want to have a conversation and learn from you. Hmm. And I think that's for me the most important part. That's a great answer. So this is a dangerous question to ask Brian, but I'm going to ask anyway. So what is the weirdest thing that has happened in your library? Or I, I thought you guys didn't want the explicit rating on iTunes. This is good. Yeah, we're uh, gonna have to edit eight out, like seven and yeah, we'll, we'll skip eight. <laughs> well, we always say it's ne- not necessarily the worst thing that's happened, but you know, just the weirdest thing. The weirdest. Uh, we we would we we had a one guy that got really mad all the time about the Wi-Fi until I fixed it. I wasn't the director of IT yet, so it wasn't my fault. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, sure. so uh, I got the wi- I got a real nice Wi-Fi network put in, uh, but then I, one day I had to do like some updates to it, and uh, oh, he like lost his lid, and he's like, "I'm gonna blow this place up." So I guess that was probably the weirdest thing because I never thought. And then like I'm like, "You can't say that." He goes, "Yes, I can. This is a public space." And so I was like, uh, "I don't know what to do." I can so, blow a public space up. <laughs> And so yeah, that was that was weird. Because then we had to call the police, and that was just a, a learning experience all on its own. Yeah. But so it was the most appropriate thing I can say in a podcast that is that can, <laughs> I can classify as the weirdest. We're gonna do we're gonna do the library pros after dark one day. Remember we talked about doing that with Merrick. Yeah, we That's did. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, 
Who is your favorite regular patron? Now, this this question usually is geared towards people who work uh, regularly in a regular library. Patron? When I still yeah, did I drop? Nope, you're good. Oh, you're good. Uh, who is my favorite regular patron? So when I worked at the library, uh, so I don't. I, his name was Danny, and we called him Mister Mokina because he had the ability to remember everybody's name. Uh, and like he's a really nice guy. He he was a special needs guy, um, but he was like the most friendly person you'll ever meet. And if you were having like the worst day ever, he would somehow know and like talk to you and, and make you feel better about yourself. That's cool. Uh, so he was he was my favorite. Mr. Okino was what we called him. Nice. That is cool. That's cool. So this is a huge question because uh, there's so much to to uh, answer. This. What are people without library cards missing out on? The library. Yeah. Yeah, they're missing out on the library. That's it. That's uh, good. Groundbreaking. <laughs> uh, what, are, what, what, are, what are people missing out? Uh, I don't know. Isn't there a uh, Arthur TV show uh, episode about it where it's not hard when you got a library card? Yeah. And I always, oh I always, <laughs> I'm dating myself, I guess, again. I used to watch Arthur and the Aardvark. But uh, that always, when anyone ever asks, I always picture that song playing again. Mm-hmm. And like the the possibilities of things you can borrow and things you can take home and things you can experience that you can't do without a, a library card. I think we found the logo for this podcast. <laughs> what Arthur? Yeah, Arthur, Arthur, Arthur? the Aardvark. <laughs> I think my oh. kids watched Arthur. Probably. Yeah. Wow. So you survived. Um, I did. You you actually made it through. So did we. Well, it's easier for us. We're still, we're we're still on the, the air. He, 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 and you're watching the Cubs game. Give us the score. What's going on? Yeah, what's the score of the Cubs game? Oh, I have no clue. I was being facetious. Hold on. Oh. I'll tell you a second. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's potting it up now. Yeah. Uh, it's 5-1. to one. There you go. Cubbies five are winning? Cubs. Cubs, Cubs are winning. Are winning. Wow. Yeah. Wait, no. This isn't updated yet. This was from last week. Last day. The game the other day. I don't know then. Google lied to me. No, Yesterday was a travel day, right? It was, this was the score from Wednesday. Current score for Cubs game. hate when technology doesn't work right. <laughs> no, I don't know what the current score is. Do you have an IT guy that can help you with that? I wish I did. Yeah, if there was a woman at least on this call, uh, it would be really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for going to library, bros. <laughs> <laughs> Oh jeez. Well, I we appreciate you coming on and for being such a good sport and asking, you know, answering uh our silly list of questions and and all the stuff we wanted to ask you. Um Lots of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so much fun having people, especially when we can reach out to people who are not regional, you know, Nassau, Suffolk County, New York, Long Island. Um because we do get a unique perspective from people who are from other parts of the country. Yeah. Um and we also wanted to give you a plug for your website for the Evolve project that it's evolveproject.org, correct? Correct. And on Twitter, at uh, you're at B. Pickman. Pitchman. Pitchman. I did it again. I've been again. talking to him for an hour and a half. Oh, Pitchman. Man, you, you guys are he doing screwed so it all good. up. Go to B. It. Pickman. I'm dropping off. Have a great night. Oh, look at that. He's mad. the Cubs game. You're on Facebook. That was, and, Chris. that was Chris, by the way. Just so you know. And you're on LinkedIn as well. Um, any other social media, like, you know, Pinterest or. <laughs> I laugh at Snapchat. Pinterest. No, not really. <laughs> Snapchat. Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
How did Instagram become like a mainstay? I don't know. I don't get that. And Pinterest, I'll never understand. Don't forget, you can visit Brian Pitchman at thevine.com. Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. The Vine. Gone. Bye. Bye, Vine. Bye, Vine. (laughs) Couldn't hold on to the branch. Pat, did you get that? Did you get that? Oh, God. All right. Now they got lost in center field in Cubby Stadium. Did you get that one? That's a big one. That's a long. Haters going to hate. That'll hit. It'll hit eventually. Like when we hang up, we'll be like, oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, yeah, that was great. Or, Chris, why do you open your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you sick of us yet? Uh, not really. My, if you heard that that sound of the whales calling, that's my stomach gargling for food. Wow. But other than that, nope, I'm good. <laughs> whales calling. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode. <laughs> then Brian's got to eat. Yeah, that's all the time we have for this edition. Actually, yeah. So <laughs> nice. What about part two? Don't we have like a we have a whole part two segment to finish? Part two segment in in a year, right? In a year, yeah. <laughs> yeah Episode year. fifty, we have marked that yeah. down. Episode right. fifty with Brian. Oh, and he's going to be pissed yep. if we do fifty one. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> you guys are dead to me if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Across your makerspace, he'll come back with, with one tweet. Your makerspace will have no funding. He'll just hack. Yeah. The, he'll hack right. the server and just destroy it all. That's right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, and we really appreciate you coming Thank on you. because you've, you've always been great to us, especially um, not just to Bob and I, but you know when you came and spoke to it for our uh, organization here in Suffolk County. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was great. Thank and you. Like I said, you blew people away, and you really were a launch pad for a bunch of libraries. Um, so it really was great. I didn't say that. Huh? Yeah, yep. exactly. You okay. see what i got to put up with? Are we reading the closing, or is that me? Yes. That's me, you. Terrible. That's all the time we have for this edition. If you have questions or comments on our show, go to the Contact Us section of our website at thelibrarypros.com, where we'll also have notes and links from all of our episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thelibrarypros. And so you don't miss a thing, don't forget to subscribe on RSS. Subscribe, subscribe. ITunes, subscribe, sussy scribe, onto our RSS, iTunes, Android, email, and Google Play. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the Emma S. Clark Memorial Library, clink, clink. or for that matter, any other library. That's See right. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.